Okay, so you are CEO of Ember, that is Bitcoin buying app, and you have written some amazing blog posts. So, so before, yeah, before we jump in, can you please uh, walk us through your background, like how you got into Bitcoin? Yeah, sure. Um, I think everyone's uh, background has, you know, some similar, um, similar stories. You know, they, um, you know, heard about it somewhere. Maybe you know they were a gold bug before, or maybe they were investing in you know markets before, or things like that. So, so for me specifically, um, I I had messed around with the stock market when I was younger, um, and I had some you know challenging experiences. I lost a lot of money when I was at a young age, and then I kind of wanted to learn a bit more about markets and economics, and you know I, I read a lot about the system, and then I learned about you know gold, silver, hard money and things like that. And I was sort of in that space. And, I, um, you know, around that time is when Bitcoin first came across my radar, but then I never took it seriously. And it was only really from 26, late 2016 where I started really getting involved. And, and for me, the trigger was I, I left my prior business um, that I was involved in and I was looking for something else. And, yeah, Bitcoin came across my radar again. I was, um, I was shocked at the price um, you know, because the first time I'd heard about it, it was much lower. And uh, yeah, I um, I started you know, reading and studying, and and I think one of the strong influences for me at the time was um, Andreas Antonopoulos. I don't I don't agree with much of the stuff he talks about these days, like around Ethereum and things like that. But I mean, look, you know, each to their own. Um, but but his his initial you know philosophical and uh, I guess his his approach to um, how he discussed Bitcoin um, as something more than just the new technology was um, was really profound for me. And then, yeah, as, as I went further down the rabbit hole, I guess with a little bit of my prior background in understanding money and markets and things like that, um, I, I really found that, you know, B- Bitcoin is just such a, it's, it's, a, it's a raw monetary, you know, capital free markets beast. And for me, I just found that extraordinarily interesting and, yeah, the, the the journey, the journey really began in 2016, and it's it's been one of the few topics in my life that um gets me more and more interested every day. Um, versus you know other topics for me, I, I kind of, I you know I I get in and after a while I get bored, but Bitcoin's the only thing I found in my entire life that just continues to suck me in. Yeah, for sure. I think Bitcoin is got this kind of rabbit hole, you know, the more deep down you go and more more excited you get about Bitcoin, right? Yeah, exactly. It's it's a it's a never ending journey. So it's incredible. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so so you wrote this amazing article about uh, about Homo sapiens evolution, money and Bitcoin. So can you please help us understand how you see money and how important money was in the evolution of Homo sapiens? Yeah, so that was actually the first, I guess, long-form article I wrote back in 2017 or 18, whatever it was. And, and that sort of, I think, was what put me on the map. Um, and, I mean, the the genesis of that was, you know, I'd, I'd been doing a bit of anthropological research on, like, I mean, I read Sapiens and I was reading books, like, you know, about human origin and species and all of that. And and one of, I think, one of the messages out of Yuval Harari's book, which, I mean, I don't agree with many of the things that guy says anymore. Um, you know, I read his recent book, The 21 Lessons, and I thought that was garbage. Um, but Sapiens, I think, you know, th- one of the, the key takeaways I had from that was this idea that, 
human beings, um, or particularly homo sapiens, we organize around um, these shared abstractions or these shared fictions. Um, and whether those fictions be laws or nations or, um, you know, or religion or, you know, sport or whatever, they're basically things in the abstract that um, we can come to collective consensus on um, and then, you know, collaborate collaborate based off of um and and that's that's a that's a unique trait to to human beings now the, the there's an ongoing argument about you know whether money is a shared fiction or not um and and i i would say at a at a metaphysical level um or, or at a really really high level um it is because it's um you know money is a is a construct that allows us um to to collaborate as human beings, so it's, it's not a it's not a physical, tangible um, thing, but it's it's the most it's it's the necessary construct because it it, it embodies uh, time and time and energy, which are the two, I guess, fundamental elemental um, constituents of the universe. So it's w- without money, you can't have society; it doesn't exist. But you know, you can have society without every other um, shared fiction. So you don't need the state, you don't need government, you don't need laws, you don't need all of these things. They're just things that we've sort of evolved. But money is the one, you know, objectively um, crucial or objectively important, um, you know, if we're going to call it a shared fiction, um, that that is required because it's, it's actually tied to something... Um, something real which is like we said time and energy um at least in you know the dimension we know of so so basically the, w- with that foundation the, the way i like to um explain you know the evolution of our species is um we we were able to evolve from some you know random ape in the middle of the savannah to where we are today primarily because we could collaborate and the most important collaborative tool uh, is money um, more important than language more important than everything um, because like i said it embodies it embodies um uh, time and energy which are the two uh, fundamental elements um, of the universe or of of society of humanity of the world um and, and without money um we wouldn't have been able to build um, or advance in society. It's just, it's just impossible. Like you can't have one or the other. So I find, you know, money, the, the most important topic and, you know, the real fundamental foundational layer for society. And, and if we, if we come from that uh, angle, or if that's the approach we take, then um, what you start to realize is if anyone has the power um, or the, um, the privilege or the position to manipulate or control or change the rules of the game pertaining to money, um, it creates extraordinary distortions in society. Um, and, and that's what we've had, you know, we've seen that repeat itself all throughout history, you know, from the time of drawings in a cave through to shells, through to, you know, uh, rocks and coins and metal and, uh, you know, the emergence of um, banking in the Florentine age, you know, five, six hundred years ago. So it's like we, we've seen, um, you know, money continually be, um, 
be debased or manipulated, etc. Because whether it's been a physical object or whether it's been, you know, the the fiat money abstraction that we have today, um, it's not been an objectively fixed um, object or an objectively fixed thing that maps directly to time and energy. And this is why Bitcoin is so important to me. Is um, is it's the first thing in history where we can actually map um, a monetary unit um, or a form of money to the thing that it's supposed to represent. Again, I keep saying time and energy because it's so important. And th this for me is why I think Bitcoin is not, not only just so important, but is also going to, um, to help form the foundation for, um, for the next thousand years um, you know, on this planet. So, yeah, I think that's a really long way of explaining, um, you know, why I think that article is important and, you know, where, where money sits in this story of humanity. Yeah, for sure. So where do you put gold in all this? And, and what do you think is wrong with gold today? Uh, look, gold was, um, you know, the, the best we had at the time, right? So, you know, we went through multiple different iterations of money. You know, we we had drawings on a cave wall, we had rocks, we had shells, we had salt, we had, you know, cattle, we had all sorts of different things. And gold, you know, was a good representation um, or, or was it was a good object that we could use to represent our time and labor. So in other words, money, um, because it had some unique physical properties. Um, it was scarce. Um, it was fungible. Um, you know, relatively divisible. It was, it was, you know, good for portability. Um, it, you know, the alchemist dream never came true. You know, we can't forge gold like so. You can't just you know print it or make it out, make it up out of thin air. So it had some really good attributes, and I think one of the most important ones was really the fact that gold is an in, in it, what's called an inert metal, so it doesn't react with anything. So that's kind of really special. So as an object, you know, it's always it's always been very very unique. So it was a good way for us to um to represent money um for for, for the longest time but in in a modern world where things are becoming increasingly digital um the the requirement to have a physical representation of money starts to fall away um you know and you know if if we make the assumption that we're going to live in a world that um is you know more increasingly digital and connected um you know, the, the, the need for gold significantly diminishes, number one. Um, or if we make the opposite, um, you know, uh, argument and say, oh, look, you know, what if the world really blows itself up, you know, then you're not going to need Bitcoin. Well, I mean, if we blow ourselves up, um, we're not going to need gold either. <laughs> you know, we're probably going to need, um, you know, food and bullets more than we'll need um, gold. So, you know, that, that, that's sort of like, I, I just don't see a logical argument anymore for gold. And, and I think the other problem gold always had is that because it's physical, it's always been prone to, um, to concentration or confiscation. Um, and I mean, confiscation, yeah, you can defend yourself on a, on a you know, personal individual level. So, so that's, you know, I guess, you know, we could potentially mitigate that. But the bigger problem with gold is the, the fact that it is um, able to be concentrated. And, and we've seen that happen multiple times with, um, with the early Florentine banks and with... Um, with governments and then with central banks, you know, like who hold all the gold? It's those people. So it's, um, you know, Bitcoin being, you know, 
non-physical, being um, internet-based, being information. You know, it's far more powerful than um, than a physical element because it gives us all of the benefits that gold could have possibly given us, um, but just much, 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 much better. Um, and, and for me, I just find that extraordinarily interesting because, um, you know, the, the, the need for gold slowly by slowly disappears. And, and, and I'm one of the people who would argue that um, over, the next, um, over the next few decades, we'll see that monetary premium that's in gold um, basically be absorbed by Bitcoin. Um, and, you know, I see that as a huge opportunity for a transfer of wealth. Okay, so there are many gold bugs who will argue that previously also there were alchemists who tried to reinvent gold, but they failed. But so, so what do you have to say there? Well, I, I actually, I very much agree with them. You know, like there's, um, you know, we're, we're not going to be able to create um, another gold because, um, you know, the, the physical element is the physical element. And I mean, if we were able to do that, like if, the, if we were able to replicate gold, um, we would fundamentally diminish the value of gold and defeat the purpose, right? So it's um, so I, I agree with them in that sense. I, I would say that Bitcoin is not um, a replacement just for gold because gold gold was a monetary object. Bitcoin is an entire monetary network infrastructure, payments infrastructure, um, you know, validatable and verifiable um, monetary unit. And, and Bitcoin is information, so it's not trying to be gold. It's just, it's, it's much better money. And as a result, gold's monetary premium will disappear because, you know, if we look at Gresham's law and the idea that, um, you know, good money or better money drowns out um, worse money, um, you know, Bitcoin is not trying to be gold. Um, Bitcoin is just better money um, and it's far superior in every way than gold could ever be. So as a result, um, you know, Darwinian economic, uh, sorry, Darwinian, uh, it, sorry, what's, what's the word I'm looking for here is like, um, you know, our economic self-preservation will drive us collectively to try and hold Bitcoin over gold over time because um, it, it's just far superior. And, and, and that's just, you know, unfortunately for the gold bugs is, you know, we're not, we don't care about gold. Like, like me as a Bitcoin, I couldn't give a shit about what happens to gold because um, I know that I'm already holding something superior um, and, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, be an alchemist and, you know, replicate gold. I couldn't, couldn't care less. It's irrelevant to me. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so now coming on to Bitcoin. So you are vocal about this idea of Bitcoin, not blockchain. So can you please uh, elaborate about this idea? Like why, why is Bitcoin not blockchain and why like Bitcoin invented blockchain, not the other way around? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think a big one for me was, um, I mean, the, I guess if we start here, the word blockchain didn't even exist until about two or three years after Satoshi released the white paper. So you know, many people don't even know, you know, blockchain isn't even in the fucking white paper. So it was a word that was made up as far as I understand by the R3 consortium, which was a bunch of bankers who then sort of, you know, moved into Ripple and all sorts of other shit coinery. And it was just sort of designed to kind of discredit the notion of Bitcoin as if, you know, some underlying technology was the basis of Bitcoin. And, and this is what I always tell people is Bitcoin's not a technological revolution. Bitcoin's an amalgamation um, or, or a collection of all sorts of different um, old uh, tested and 
well thought out technologies, disciplines, theories. So, so Bitcoin is a mixture of, um, you know, cryptography, of, um, of uh, encryption, of public-private key cryptography, of computer science, of distributed networks, of game theory, of, um, of math, of science, of psychology, of, you know, um, of economics, of capitalism. Like it's all of these subjects and topics um, all thrown into one, you know, energy efficiency, um, you, know, uh, you know, systems thinking. It's, it's all of these things. And, and when, when people talk about blockchain, they're talking about just the, um, almost just like the, 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 the database layers. It's like one ingredient of this whole pie. And it's, it's such, it's so stupid to... Um, to think in that format, like it, what what it reminds me of is um is somebody you know saying you know s- seeing that there's a cake um you know baked somewhere. And I use this analogy in my Bitcoin Times publication is there's a cake which has ten ingredients you know flour, eggs, sugar, butter, blah blah blah, um, and that cake you know is known as Bitcoin. And then somebody comes along and says, look, I'm going to make um, a better cake, and I'm going to take one ingredient, so like the eggs. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm gonna whip that really fast and I'll sell you a cake. Um and it's bullshit, it's not a cake, it's something else. So I mean, one could potentially argue that, you know, there might be some, you know, methods of getting um I don't know, some sort of technical advantage through, you know, segmenting your data in your own database and then hashing, you know, previous data in in blocks, but I mean, that's, that's in my mind, pathetic, incremental, pointless innovation. There's nothing new there. It's just, you know, reworking how you structure a database. Like for me, I'm more interested in, I don't know, eating breakfast um, than, than, you know, the blockchain as an innovation. It's the dumbest idea I've ever heard of. Like it's just, I mean, whoever wants to do it, go for it. But there's just absolutely nothing interesting for me there. Like for me, you know, Bitcoin reinvents money. Like, whoa, that right there is the most incredible fundamental transformation of society. Like, and all of the things that are involved in, you know, what makes that possible is just so broad. Whereas, you know, this narrow viewpoint that somehow, you know, segmenting data um, on a database is somehow innovative is the most moronic standpoint. Like, I would almost argue that you know blockchain people are stupider than crypto people, like because it's even it's even narrower than um than you know the the crypto dream. Um, so it's just yeah, I, I I find it laughable at best. There's absolutely nothing interesting. That's true. I think blockchain like time chain it, it, like it was there before before Bitcoin. Like it was it was since since I would say night. 1980s we had time chain but it, it never had any use case before bitcoin so so after bitcoin everyone came around and started saying that you know this blockchain thing yeah yeah very well put it's um it's it's found its use case it's found its use case in bitcoin um and outside of that context it's um you know <laughs> it's um it's pointless it's it's kind of like you know we we've we've developed um, an alternator for a car, right? Um, or let's use a better example, like something that's really um, like a, a radiator, you know, and the radiator is there to like cool the car. And then it's trying to take the radiator and let's build a couch out of it, you know, or a TV. It's like fucking stupid. It, it doesn't belong there. 
yeah yeah for sure i think uh, simple you know centralized database are much better than blockchains so blockchains are inefficient expensive and very hard to manage so it's it's foolish to use blockchains so uh, so personally when it comes to bitcoin maximalism what are your views there so personally i think that it is it is important because it help new people to you know stay away from all the scams and and that that is how free market should function so what are your views there yeah i think i mean i think it's necessary um function so so there's always um all, all movements uh centered around um you know uh what i would call intolerant ideologues so people who will stand up for the principle um of what they're doing and and these bitcoin maximalists as, as we've been termed or you know toxic maximalists or supremacists or whatever word they're using these days you know we 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 um we stand by the the essence um of what bitcoin represents and you know we we choose not to deviate from that essence or from that message so it's kind of the the core of the movement needs to be intolerant the core of the movement needs to be um unwilling to waver to any um you know concept or idea that diminishes you know the the beauty and the profundity of what bitcoin represents and for for me um that's what these bitcoin maximalists um represent is they they're the white blood cells of the bitcoin organism that will not um will not bend um and will not let you know uh other narratives that are i mean we, you know every time bitcoiners have called things a scam every it's always turned out to be a scam <laughs> yeah please. and um and you know it it's you know they they consistently right because we appreciate bitcoin for what it is and when we see stupid narratives that um try and co-opt the bitcoin narrative and you know off the back of that sell you know some you know new coin or new blockchain or new stupidity then um you know we're the first ones to call it out and and you know that that first line of defense is critical for any movement because if you don't have that the movement becomes lost um and you know bitcoin is fundamentally a movement we're going to change the world with this and um it, you know without without crazy people like you know all of us bitcoin maximalists we're not going to we're not going to inspire a greater core of a you know of an intolerant um minorities you know minority or you know intolerant ideologues that will not deviate from the mission and it's absolutely necessary to have us as a group yeah for sure okay so you have this app called ember so where you help mm-hmm. people take sets or dollar cost average so yep. why you think that dollar cost averaging is the smartest thing you can do while like for buying bitcoin yeah look it's i mean what, yeah look i i think someone i think jameson lop did a analysis that um you know people who bought bulk lump sums have actually probably worked out better than dca people and and that's fine you know one could probably argue that based on the data but i think for most people for 99% of people buying anything involves emotion um and emotion is the hardest thing to control and what you end up doing is you end up buying high and then selling low and then freaking out you know or not buying enough or chasing the price up um you know or placing stupid limit orders and then doing things at the wrong time so really the the, the benefit of dca is more you know really lies in the idea that it gets human beings and their emotion out of the way um and it makes the assumption that hey if if you believe bitcoin is 
um, something that you want to have over the long term. It shouldn't matter when you buy it. Um, you should be approaching it as something you want to collect. Um, and with that in mind, um, you should be collecting Bitcoin anytime you have some disposable income. And if we can automate that process, which is what we do with Amber, we draw it out of your bank account and we just do that. Um, you know, we, we stack those sets for you automatically. Then um, it's just a very intelligent, low risk. And I guess more importantly, low energy and low time investment method of accumulating the, the hardest asset in the world. Like, yeah. I mean, you know, I've, I've had my Amber app running personally for a year and just over a year now. And, you know, I've, I don't know how many million sets I've stacked without having to do anything. I didn't do anything. Like I didn't have to log, log on and all this. And, and my time is precious. My time is valuable. I don't want to sit there looking at charts and, you know, you know, read the tea leaves and think that I can magically beat the market. What a, what a waste of time. Like, I mean, people, I, I would hope people have better things to do with their time than sit there and fuck around with trying to pick when, you know, when the right time to buy is just set the rule and go away. Just leave it. Let it do its thing. Yeah, I think it's very, very smart concept. And are you seeing some, you know, attention towards this, this model of buying? Look, it's, it's growing. Um, it's, it's growing, but I mean, it's, it's hard to change people's natures. And I think what, you, what, we, what we definitely see with the app is people who are a little bit more mature in their Bitcoin journey, they, they dollar cost average more. People who are newer, they still, they naively think that they can, you know, buy the dip and pick the bottoms and, you know, sell the tops and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, I think the newer the person is, the more naive they are. Um, unless, you know, they've been referred to Amber by someone who's, you know, had time in the market and they just told them to say, look, don't screw around, just set up a recurring investment and you're done. Um, and I think, you know, that's, um, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's growing. Like we were the first ones to really start this kind of product. And I mean, you know, there's a bunch of other products now in the market that are all really good that are doing something similar. Um, and it's good to have been, you know, the inspiration point for, um, for this kind of movement and this kind of thought. Yeah. For sure. Okay, so uh, so right now we are seeing a lot of money printing and a lot of debt. So how you th think is the you know practical way we can move towards a Bitcoin economy? So you talked about in your blog post separating money and state. So do you think it will happen in our lifetime? And if you think so, how you think it will unfold? Yeah, look, I I, I do think it will happen in our lifetime. Like uh, I'm assuming you're what twenties or thirties? Yeah, I'm in twenties. Yeah, twenties. Yeah, so I'm I'm in my early thirties. I do think it'll happen in our lifetime. I mean, you know, you've probably got five, ten years um, extra than I do. So I, I think definitely in our lifetime, um, I think it, it'll it'll happen. Um, I think that you know, there's that classic saying: it's it'll, it'll happen slowly than all at once. Um, mm -hmm. And it's just it's just the nature of how um, humanity and society changes, right? Um, you know, if we look at you know, 500 years ago, you know, the, the separation of church and state and how the church uh, fell apart, you know, it decayed over, you know, a couple of centuries. And then, you know, it really started to fall apart with the rise of the nation state, with the rise of the merchant and, you know, the, the rise of science um, and the idea that we could question, you know, theological viewpoints that were held, um, that were held in, um, you know, uh, like as, as, you know, these sanctified um, axioms. 
So um, I, I think Bitcoin will will prosper as the existing system uh, falls apart under the weight of its own stupidity and bureaucracy. Um, you know, the the state has been around now for you know over five hundred years. You know, it's really it's come to you know arguably its zenith. Um, you know, twenty thirty years ago with the um, with the collapse of communism that you know could arguably be seen as the peak of the state, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then since then we've sort of had this quasi-socio-communist capitalist bullshit system that's sort of all moulded into one. It's, it's not one of anything. It's just this amalgamation of crap. And, and you know, we're seeing the system, you know, fall apart under the weight of its own, um, like I said, stupidity. Um, yeah. In live action, like we're watching it happen, <laughs> you know, yeah. we're seeing, you know, the, I mean, it, like stuff like the stock market, like in the NASDAQ being back at all time highs and, you know, the rebound that the markets have had, um, you know, back to, I mean, some things are higher than when they were in December last year and some things are, you know, almost at their all time highs and then some stocks are, you know, completely at all new time highs. Um, and, and for me, like, when you look around, you know, the world's not in a better place than it was six months ago. <laughs> like, nobody can tell me that. Like, I don't care if, you know, someone argues that, oh, yeah, markets are a forward-looking um, thing. Well, you know, six, seven months ago, you know, the forward look was still much better than the forward look right now. So you, you can't sit there and tell me that um, any of this makes sense. It's um, it's crazy, right? Yeah. So. For me, when I when I when I look at that, I I start to wonder, like, you know, how, how long can this um can this act continue? And um and you know, we're, we're a good friend of mine, Haas, who's a who's a Bitcoiner, a longtime Bitcoiner in Australia. Um, he kind of tweeted out, I think, three or four months ago, which I think was really he um he tweeted out, you know, I I predict by next year we'll see forty thousand on the Dow and forty percent unemployment. <laughs> you know, it sounds crazy, but it's um, you know, like Main Street and Wall Street are completely diverging, and that is is literally a recipe for disaster. Like, you know, I, I don't care what anybody says, you can't you can't keep that going for very long. You know, you can throw some UBI and you can throw people some checks here and there, and you might you know, fool some of the people um, and, you know, some people might be content to live, you know, that meaningless existence. But at some point, you know, things will come to a boiling point and, and it's not going to happen everywhere around the world at the same time, but it's going to happen in pockets. And, and so, so you've got these multiple forces of one, you know, one force is, you know, the, the whole existing infrastructure falling apart. Um, and that's just going to continually happen because as the state grows, it has no choice but to continually grow, like it can't reverse itself because the, yeah. its, its incentive as its own organism is to continue to grow. And it can only grow as a parasite that leeches through tax or inflation. So it's going to continue in that direction. So whilst you've got that happening and, you know, as that parasite grows and as the host, um, you know, dies, which is effectively the, um, the constituents of these societies, um, you have this other thing which is growing and prospering um, and as it grows and prospers, it becomes stronger. It becomes, you know, that its monetary base becomes more liquid, that the people within it become, you know, more wealthy, etc. You start to get this like real separation. And 
you know, at some point, game theoretically speaking, everybody else is going to want to be a part of that. So they're going to want to catch catch us. And, you know, that might be one or two, you know, Bitcoin halving cycles away. But, you know, but b- before the end of this decade, my, my guess is that, um, you know, the, the question that people will be asking is, instead of today, it's like, you know, the question is, why the hell do you have some Bitcoin? Um, you know, the question in, you know, after the next halving or two will be, what the hell's wrong with you? How can you not have any Bitcoin? Um, people will think you're crazy for not having any. Um, and I think that's when, you know, we'll really start to see some um, some monumental shifts in the in the fabric of society. So, so do you think central banks will peg their currency with Bitcoin or do you think we will completely replace the current financial structure? Look, on a long enough time frame, we'll probably replace it. Um, you know, okay. along the way, though, we'll probably see things like that happen. Um, you know, I guess... You know, we'll probably see central banks try and create their own, you know, quote unquote, blockchain shitcoin, whatever it's going to be. You know, and then that might for a time, you know, give people some hope and, you know, they might, you know, regain some trust in the existing financial system. Um, But, you know, at the same time, Bitcoin will just continue to build. Um, it, it, It basically gives Bitcoiners and Bitcoin some time to really establish a base. That's what we need to do over the next decade. You know, I, I speak to a lot of people that think that, oh, yeah, everything's about to collapse um, and, you know, the euro is going to collapse next year and all this sort of stuff. And and I, I don't agree with that. I think we've got a lot more time um, to prepare. And I think that, you know, the 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 central banks and the governments and everything, that they, they, they haven't run out of bullets. You know, they're going to they're gonna try a bunch of things and one of those things is going to be to um, to do... A central bank-based digital currency, um, and you know they'll do some digital wallets. There might be a corporate-based digital currency, whether it's Libra or something similar. I don't know. And, and those things will all exist, but they're all going to die under their own weight of their own um, inadequacies anyway. Because Bitcoin again is superior money, not just the payments network. Um, and yeah, for, for for everyone's own individual economic preservation, they're going to end up wanting to hold you know, the superior monetary asset. Yeah, for sure. I think central banks are already, you know, trying their hands on all these digital currencies. So we are we are seeing a lot news from a lot of countries that they are doing some something related to digital currency. But obviously it is not exactly. it, is, it is nothing like Bitcoin. Yeah, exactly. So the game theory of it is beautiful because you know what what they'll probably do is, you know, maybe one or two of the central banks will say, look, we're going to do it over, you know, whether it's a basket of currencies or, you know, we, we it might be complete fiat or some of them might say, look, we're going to um, do a, we're going to do a 20% reserve with gold, right? So they might start there. Um, and, you know, the, as, as Bitcoin grows, the, 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 the advance, the first mover advantage is going to start to become clear. One of these central banks is going to say, all right, we're going to put a, you know, one or two percent of our, um, you know, of our, I guess, backing of our currency in Bitcoin. Yeah. And when you start to see that happen, then, you know, you're going to start to see things really start to cascade. You'll then have another central bank who sees the benefit in doing that. So, so then this is where the game theory changes. Um, and then instead of them trying to stop it, they're going to try and take advantage of it. Um, and then you're really going to see um, the incentive, to, you know, the, the next central bank might say, well, look, you know, their currencies and, you know, this central bank's currency is only backed, you know, 1% with Bitcoin. Ours is 5%. 
and then someone's going to turn around 10%, you know, 20%. And then slowly, slowly, it'll eat away at um, the very need for the existence of a central bank. Um, and then that's why I think over the long term, you know, the central banks have no choice. Um, the, the, I mean, not even a choice. They have no hope. <laughs> like they're, they're not going to exist 100 or 200 years from now. But, um, I mean, until then, they're going to do everything they can to, um, to survive. Um, and along the path of survival, they are going to have to use Bitcoin. Um, and the, uh, the beautiful thing about this is in their attempt to survive and potentially co-opt Bitcoin, they're going to destroy themselves. And that, for me, is poetic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I hope it does. Okay, so one last question before we wrap it up. What is the one best blog sure. post or article you ever read? Ooh, that I ever Apart read. from yours, um, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's, um, there's a couple in there. I, I really, really, really enjoy Nick Carter's writing. So for me, um, yeah. Bitcoin, um, the peaceful revolution was really powerful for me. I loved that article. It was just yeah. so well written. It was eloquent. It was really nicely put and all that sort of stuff. So I think that's a really strong one. Um, Nick Zabo's shelling out was like really incredible as well. Like just reading, you know, the, the evolution of money and all of that sort of stuff was just, you know, really grounding for me and just reinforced. Like, it was funny. I came to a lot of conclusions, um, about that stuff prior to reading any of Nick's work. And then when I read his work, I was like, holy fuck, why did I bother doing all of my research? Like I could have just read this. It would have saved me so much time. So, so Nick's, Nick Zabo is definitely ahead of his time. Um, and then a, f- a friend of mine, Robert Breedlove, who's a really good Bitcoiner, he wrote um, Bitcoin and the Number Zero. Which, and, and Breedlove's stuff is always incredible as well. Like he's, he writes in depth. And then if I had to put one more in there, um, Gigi, who's another good yeah, friend of mine, you. excellent Bitcoiner. Um, yeah, one of my favorite ones from him is Proof of Life. I really, really yeah. love that one. It's like it's not a long read, about 10 minutes, but it's, um, it just makes you realize that there's something more going on here. And, yeah. um and it's yeah it's, it's yeah one of the quotes art. i remember from that article is you know uh, bitcoin heartbeat with outlast all of ours and it's really powerful yeah yeah okay absolutely yeah okay so, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so can you please let people know where they can find you yeah so um my name is spelled a bit different it's alex with a k-s so a-l-e-k-s then my surname svetsky s-v-e-t-s-k-i so alex svetsky if you put that in on Google, you'll find everything about me. So my, I mean, not everything about me, but I guess you'll find where I write. So you'll find my Medium, my Twitter. Um, I try and stay off LinkedIn, but I'm, you know, I've got a profile there. So, but, but basically most of my activity is on Medium and on Twitter. Um, and it's the same handle, Alex Svetsky. And yeah, if you want to have a laugh, I suggest you jump on Twitter because I'm always bashing people. <laughs> if, um, and if you want to, you know, dive, div- deep dive down the rabbit hole and you know read some some articles and some work i suggest you jump in um onto my medium and then definitely look at the bitcoin times publication as well like there there was some really good work done there um you know amongst the the writers that i put together and and also myself so i definitely strongly recommend that as a place and also can you please let let us know about your app is it like it's live in australia right now right uh, yeah. Yes. So the, the app is live in Australia. Um, it's the only place we're live at the moment. The next market we're trying to enter is Europe and the UK. Um, and I'm hoping that in the next couple of months we'll be there as well. Um, and yeah, the, the idea is to, 
to have to, to be available in as many jurisdictions as possible um, so that people can dollar cost average um, in a in a easy in as easy a way as possible. Okay, perfect. Okay, Alex, th thank you so much for coming on. And yeah, thank thank you for having me on. And I actually, there are actually a really good set of questions. I haven't done a podcast for a while, so um, so I was um, I was happy with the quality of questions. And yeah, I appreciate yeah, you having you. me on. Thank you. For sure. Take care, of yourself, bye. buddy. You too. Bye.